And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who's probably contemplating quitting his job and following Taylor Swift on tour about right now. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? That's a good one, Kieran. That's that. That's funny, but I want to start with a joke this week. Or maybe it's not really a joke, more of just a, a hilarious observation. Do you know how many hits the Tigers had Sunday against the Tampa Bay Rays? I do. It was two. Do you know how many hitting coaches the Tigers hired this offseason? <laughs> Three? Three. They have more <laughs> hitting coaches than they have hits. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we are recording this shortly after the Tigers dropped the third of three games against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, we did a pod after opening day, and the message was kind of like, all right, well, you know, the this is what the team is. They're definitely short of Tampa Bay. Uh, since then, we've learned they are quite short of Tampa Bay and short of a lot of teams around baseball in terms of offensive output. I, uh, you know, I follow on the MLB app because I got family in New York. I follow like Yankee stuff, and then wife's a Red Sox fan, so I get like notifications for those teams and the Rangers as well, just so I can keep up with the local team. And I just got flooded with, like, notifications, like, Red Sox scored nine runs in each of the first three games. How rare is that? You know, Volpe gets a stolen base each of the first three games. How rare is that? You know, Rangers score, you know, I'm over here looking at uh, not quite as many runs as those guys. So uh, the offense was definitely behind this week, Cody. Uh, I guess just in general, how would you kind of classify this, this season opener, given the fact that, you know, there's just a general amount of hype for the begin any season, and then they had hit the ball well in spring in, in spring training, and you get to the uh, regular season, albeit tough matchup, but tough matchups aren't going away, and just kind of hit your face on a brick wall, uh, metaphorically speaking, from a hitting standpoint. What what are your, kind of your thoughts on this first series? I think I had said last week there some areas in which you can feel okay about the Tigers, think they're going to be a little better, a little more competitive this year. But also there's very limited upside and a, a lack of talent to the point they will probably get their doors blown off by upper-tier teams. And unfortunately, I was definitely proven right on that last point uh, right off the bat. I don't know if I'll be proven right on, on those first points that are at least slightly more optimistic. Uh, it was absolutely as bad of a start as you could have. You know how after the, you know, at the start of the pandemic, uh, once we got a year or so removed from it, people would say it, it still feels like March 2020. Um, and I relate to that. Sometimes it still feels like March 2020. You know, time has passed in a strange way since then. But watching the Tigers opening weekend, it still feels like September of 2022. It feels like an extension of last season where just everything that could possibly go wrong is, is going wrong. Uh, I guess there haven't been any major injuries yet, but otherwise it was very poor baseball. Uh, it looked completely hopeless and helpless at the plate. A couple things like pitching-wise, uh, you know, Joey Wentz had a really good outing, but Turnbull, you know, that, that storybook return did not go so well. You saw mistakes. You saw fly balls just dropping in shallow center field. You saw a team that really had no fight and looked completely lifeless, and it's obviously discouraging yeah it is only three games look maybe the tigers come out win one or two in houston then you're feeling okay baseball is a weird sport like that but uh 
Uh, I really can't blame any fan out there that is pretty frustrated after opening weekend because it was just very bad baseball. We've seen a lot of it over the past few years, and and you open the season, you know, in this fashion shows that I don't know how far this team has actually come. Well, it's the first time since we've been doing this podcast that there wasn't some sort of like jubilant moment on opening day or opening, you know, weekend or whatever with the snow Cabrera home run and the Javi double down the line. And, you know, the seemed like kind of not turning around, but like, all right, this might be fun. Uh, And, you know, to be fair, 2021 was fun in a lot of ways, Uh, but didn't really feel like any progression uh, this week. I I am curious, though, since, you, you, you know, you're obviously there in the locker room talking to AJ, talking to the players. Uh, this is this is a moment where I'm actually very curious about how how guys are feeling, what they're saying, because again, the hype you, hear, you saw now he hasn't played yet, but you saw like Matthew Boyd before the season say like people are sleeping on us, and and I'm sure that attitude kind of resonated throughout the locker room, uh, and and AJ obviously has to sit there and answer questions, you know, about this. But what what's kind of the what's the locker room like? What's the vibe like? Given that yes, it is only three games, but it was quite ugly, and even for the the fans too. But the players are also gonna you know have that juice of opening weekend, and then to just kind of lay an egg like they did. Uh, I, I I'm just kind of curious how uh, how they're handling it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's very disappointing for the players, too. You know, all spring, you you think things are going good, and each player has some reason to believe that they're going to have the best year of their career, whether it's realistic or not. You know, as an athlete, that's just what you think. You think, oh, this is going to be my year. And then you come out, and you have a very poor start to the season. I think the clubhouse was pretty quiet, pretty empty. Um, You know, didn't sense that tension that was there through so much of last year. It's it's too early for that, but, uh, you know, guys are – Obviously not walking around in a chipper mood after you get beat 12-2 and after you, you know, you almost get no hit, you know, I think AJ, uh, noticeable as anything, was just very kind of, I don't know what the word is, stoic, Um, and I don't know how much I can blame him because what do you... What do you say after games like this? You know, um, there's not a lot to elaborate on, not a lot of color you can add. And the guy doesn't like losing. I know there are fans out there that would probably like AJ to almost emote a little bit more. But, uh, I, you know, I don't think that's really his default mode. Um, but the the energy projected from the manager is always something that influences the club. So that'll be something to keep an eye on going forward a little bit. Um, you know, I think this is a young enough team where maybe they will be able to kind of flush this and, and rebound, you know, I mean, guys, that's kind of standard line that guys were saying after Sunday's game. Um, so hard to tell, you know, obviously not a good mood. It's one of those things that you hope can easily correct itself before it gets worse. I will, I will say this to, uh, add another half joke to this. I think before the game, Tigers got to change up their playlist, man. It is just Morgan Wallen over and over, and it has been almost all spring, and then since the regular season started, just nothing but Morgan Wallen. It's kind of sad, like wailing country songs, and then some of his songs are all right. We don't have to get into who Morgan Wallen is as a person. If you want some juice in the clubhouse, let's change the playlist. Come on. Is it just 98 Braves on repeat? or uh, There's there's some 98 Braves, <laughs> but I got to tell you, the Tigers are not the 98 Braves right now. Right? 
All right, so uh, just some very basic numbers here that I thought kind of told the tale. Now, obviously, this is the obvious one, but 21 to 3 outscored. So that's, uh, you know, not, I, not ideal. Uh, 27 to 14 out hit. And here's what I thought was maybe the, the most interesting. Starting pitchers, strikeouts. 23 for Tampa Bay, 11 for uh for 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 the tigers and obviously that's partially that you know turnbull didn't have a long outing uh you would have liked to see Wentz get more i i think eduardo basically did what was expected um in, in terms of strikeout total uh but yeah not 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 great there that combination i will tell you cody i'll go on a limb here you're not going to win that many games when you're striking out and not hitting that is typically that's, that's typically doesn't work. The whole thing we've heard from the day Scott Harris was hired about dominate the strike zone. The, what that means is strike out less and acquire pitchers who strike out more. And to be fair, um, I, I, not a ton of this is Scott Harris's fault. I mean, the team did not improve a lot over the offseason. Now, the payroll is lower, so how much control did Scott have over that? We don't really have the answer to. Um, but it's going to take multiple years for Scott to build an organization that strikes out less and strikes out hitters more often. That said, uh, so far the team obviously not living up to that kind of mantra that we've heard and, and we've heard A.J. Hinch say over and over as well. Definitely did not do it against the race. Now, you know, if we're going to look for some positives, I'm guessing Riley Green leads all of baseball in infield hits. I mean, I would have to imagine that's uh, <laughs> so I think he has two of them. Uh, Riley, and, Riley did not have a very good series, so he, you know he's supposed to be your bright spot, and I'm I'm sure he will be the bright spot, but not a good start for Mr. Green, offensively or defensively. Well, again, well, we also are credit where credit is due. Podcast, and he did get down the line there on Sunday. I think it was like 29. Yeah, it's pretty close to elite speed, so definitely credit for that. He was busting it, no doubt. And, you know, like he, he did, I think he got a hold of one on opening day that, you know, maybe in a different ballpark, you, you get a little lift there from some, some weather, maybe it goes out, but yeah. Uh, I, got, Wentz, I, yeah gonna... I, I got one positive from all three games. That was Joey Wentz. Joey Wentz had a really nice start. Um, yeah, talk about it. Even not quite as good as the line reflects and the line's not bad at all, but he was... A lot like the Joey Wentz we had seen in his better spring outings. Uh, first inning, he didn't necessarily get ahead of guys. I think he fell about, fell behind to three of the four batters he faced. Came back out second inning, seemed like he was getting up 0-1 from there on out. And most importantly, he had all four pitches going. He was going fastball, cutter, changeup, curveball, which as I've talked about, you know, getting frustrated over guys who only seem to have one or two pitches working at a time. He was using his whole arsenal. Makes it a lot easier for your catcher to call a game. Keeps hitters off balance. He was able to have four pitches working. The cutter was really good. It was the best I'd seen his changeup in a long time. Pitch that used to be his calling card coming up through the minors. Um, you know, and he went five innings strong. We're down a little bit in the six, but even the home run he gave up to Randy Rosarena was a, a pretty good pitch that a good hitter just went and got toward the, you know, maybe even out of the strike zone, definitely right on that bottom line of the strike zone. Um, Joey Wentz does that a time or two more, and, and he's going to continue putting some pressure on Matt Manning because I thought that was a very good start. Yeah, for sure. I, I liked what I saw from him, 
and he looked like a guy that uh like if you had no knowledge of the tigers rotation you would probably think oh yeah this makes sense you know someone like him would be you know your third spot i mean i know it's not that simple but just in general be like oh yeah that that, that guy closed out a series it, you know, it makes some sense uh, by the way, an old-looking twenty-five. So uh, he's, you know, he's, uh, he is. He's a he's an old, <laughs> old-looking guy, old old soul type guy, which which I like. You know, Joey. A lot, nothing to not like about Joey Wentz. You know, and I I also will say this. So we're three games in, right? So a lot of things that are in my mind are going to be probably analytical, or not analytical, anecdotal. And maybe not, and probably not backed up by the actual analytics. So I just want to preface that it's just sort of like what I'm thinking as it happen. A couple things happen. It feels to me that either there were just way too many times that not routine, but kind of basic ground balls made it to the outfield. I thought that the positioning, the shifting, it just didn't seem like they were in the right spots. Now, maybe they were in the right spots. The pitch wasn't executed correctly. The hitter, you know, just did a great job. But it felt, if I don't know, I think there might have been three today that would have been routine plays for Javi Baez had he been in a more traditional uh, spot. Like, I, again, yeah. this is all anecdotal. He uh, shifted it, over a bit. I would argue you're probably just getting used to the game of baseball without something known as the shift Gonna yeah. see more ground balls get through, and I definitely know what you're talking about. There were a few hits to Javi's glove side that weren't hit all that hard, and it seemed like he just wasn't close to, and he, he was playing more in the hole a little bit. So, to shortstop, maybe not so much, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I just think you're gonna see more of that in baseball. So I don't know. That is something to keep an eye on, though. Yeah. So, and it and it also felt to me that the Tigers just didn't have. They, as hitters, they didn't have their fastball, and what I what I mean by that is hitting the fastball. It just, <laughs> again, this is anecdotal. It just felt like either they weren't seeing it well and they were letting good pitches, you know, go by, uh, or they were behind and not able to kind of get good uh, barrel to ball contact there. Uh, like I said, there's probably some some data there that people can find that may dispute me on this but it just, it's just what it felt like it just felt like they didn't get a whole lot of good swings which again when you score three runs in three games uh <laughs> probably didn't get not, a lot of good swings probably didn't get a lot of good no. swings i i was remain perplexed by sunday's game the tigers took 14 called strikes on fastballs against jeffrey springs now, talking to a couple of players after the game, they said, you know, he's got a pretty high spin fastball. They said the ride just made it a little deceptive, or maybe it's it's you think it's low and it's going to be in the going to be a ball, and then you look and it hits the catcher's mitt and it, it catches the bottom of the strike zone. Um, I guess that makes sense in a couple instances, but okay, you talk about it dominate the strike zone philosophy. Part of that philosophy is not only making good swing decisions, but when you do swing at strikes, making sure there are pitches you can do damage on. Well, a fastball in the strike zone is is generally a prime example of a pitch you can do damage on, and the Tigers did take a few that were down the middle of the plate. And it was to the point, I'm like, is part of their game plan laying off fastballs? And if so, I've never really heard of a game plan like that, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, and getting a sense from AJ and players after the game, I don't think it was. Something about Jeffrey Springs fastball must have been deceiving difficult for him to pick up but 
Yeah, 14 called strikes on fastballs. You almost never see that in the major leagues. It was, it was very odd to me. Well, let's, let, let, we, we talked about Erod plenty on uh, on Thursday, and then we just kind of gave Wentz his flowers, and, and, and you mentioned Turnbull uh, there at the beginning. But uh, given the fact that this was his first start, you know, coming back from Tommy John and, and, and the amount of time and uh, that that requires – and to have it go this poorly, like how's our boy Spence doing? I, I want I want to make sure he's okay. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he's all right. I think he's doing better than I am uh, coping with my my prediction that Turnbull is going to be an all star. Because even if he bounces back, his his ERA took enough of a hit that it's going to take a while to correct. Um, talking to Turnbull after the game, I actually I was kind of impressed. I think you saw the the growth and maturity of Turnbull a little bit. I think this has been a guy who has always been very hard on himself. He's had trouble shaking off um, bad outings before, and he seemed, you know, kind of zen about it, uh, realistic. And you know, to me, he still showed pretty good stuff, which I think was as encouraging as anything. His kind of trademark slider wasn't really working for him, and he was still able to. Um, missed some bats, record some strikeouts. Unfortunately, he just didn't locate, made a few mistakes, and the Rays, being the team they are, made him pay for every single one of those mistakes. Obviously, it wasn't a good outing in terms of execution, but the top-level stuff is still there. More days than not, he is going to have the slider. Now, creepy thing, there was a graphic. Turnbull went 666 days between starts. Oh, talk about ominous, <laughs> and uh, Turnbull was aware of that, and it freaked him out a little bit. Um, <laughs> so there's so we, we got that AJ going. to get him moved. Like, can I do opening day? Or, I, I, or I think there was a joke after that. That yeah, you should have let me know. I don't think he knew about it until after the fact. Because <laughs> I believe, uh, and I'm speaking out of turn here. I'm sorry, but I believe like his social media activity, he does you know post some religious stuff. So that. You know, that's a very, very religious young man. So I'm sure he was, yeah, a little extra freaked out, maybe more than the average person about that one. And, uh, you know, if I had no idea that, like, this is just how the Rays operate, like, I would have thought that it was kind of just an insult to, like, take a pitcher out with, uh, as a no hitter through six, uh, six mm-hmm. innings and be like, yeah, you're just, I, again, I know this is what they do, but it's like my first thought was, are they just fucking with us? Like, are they, just, <laughs> are they just like, yeah, it's not even worth the extra three, you know, the extra three innings. It's not worth the nine outs. You know, whatever. Like, well, you know, we, we know he can get it, so we're just going to give somebody else a chance. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I look, and the Rays in general don't like guys going three times around the lineup, let alone an elevated pitch count on opening day, but. I'm not sure the Tigers were going to get a hit off Jeffrey Springs, man. They had not been close. And I was, at that point, I was like, you know, we don't have a, a Rays writer at the Athletics. So at that point, I'm like, I mean, if this happens, I'll go down to the Rays clubhouse and write a happy story that will, like, play to a national audience and not go in the, the sad-ass Tigers clubhouse, you know. So I was I was almost, you know, kind of kind of wanting that to happen at a certain point, if I'm being honest. Uh, it didn't work out that way. Is, this the, is that the first time you've seen that covering a game? Uh, pitcher with a no hitter taken um, out. I believe I saw Joe Madden pull Jake Arietta with a no hitter, if memory serves. And that would have been in Chicago, like uh, at- that was yeah early early sixteen. Let me let me just 
look this up real quick. Maybe he surrendered a hit as his pitch count was rising, and it uh, saved Joe Madden from a tough decision. Because Arietta did then record a no-hitter just a couple weeks later. Well, because because uh, uh, one of the things I was curious about, because I, I again, if you're a Rays fan, you probably like anticipate this being a thing. But uh, what's a crowd reaction like when a pitcher with a no hitter gets pulled? You know what I mean? Like, uh, like, uh, like, yeah, it probably can't be too. Yeah, happy. April, April. Oh no, that was before. Is yeah, I totally made that up. I <laughs> don't recall ever seeing that before. I don't know where I came up with the Arietta thing. I think it was April fourth. Arietta's no, that wasn't it. <laughs> All right, so you hadn't seen it before, but like you know, it's it's just kind of a crazy deal. Um, kind of reminds me. I guess we can spend a handful of minutes on this before we kind of get more Tiger centric uh, topics. But kind of reminds me, your boy Evan uh, Drellick wrote about like Rod Manfred talking about. First of all, <sighs> Manfred, I have a thing where he needs to be like. I'm surprised how. Uh, unbuttoned up his quotes are for major sports commissioner and on some way i respect it on another on other ways i'm like like how why <laughs> like it just doesn't seem that tied together every time i see something hear him talk or read his quotes or whatever but your your boy evan had a little little blurb about you know manfred an owner told manfred that uh analytics was a, a road to nowhere or whatever and is like i have 75 guys in this department and you know they work hard they do good you know work or whatever but it's a road to nowhere and i thought that was very interesting thing to come out of the commissioner's mouth uh opening day weekend so uh you have any thoughts on that cody like rob coming out and saying that because it's relevant with the, what the rays did you know because obviously that's an analytical move uh oh gosh um yeah no i I thought that was a poor quote um yeah there are some ways like there have obviously been consequences to the rise of analytics and it damaged the aesthetics of the game and now we have these rule changes and everything but saying like analytics is bad i think it's the equivalent of someone in their profession being like (laughs) i don't care about awards it's not about awards you know, who usually says that is people who don't win awards. Um, that's, you know, uh, the teams that are bad at analytics or behind the curve, um, as Tigers fans well know, kind of, you know, so that's when you start, oh, you wish your analytics department was, was up to date. Yeah, all teams can be um, dealing with the same information, but the teams that do it well do it really well. Look at the difference between the Los Angeles Dodgers and other teams. Analytics plays a role, and it has become this broad, overarching term right it's not just you know the the uh jonah hill character and money ball in the back room like crunching a spreadsheet you know the term analytics is now used to talk about scouting and player development in general modern way teams that are behind the times um i'm not sure you know nba road twos well i also don't understand why he would come out and also say that there's not that much of a competitive advantage now because everybody's doing it and i was like yeah like again like i saw the gist of where he was at and like the that's why the a's juggernaut like 
only lasted a few years because other teams said, oh, you know what, maybe we should value one base percentage. Like someone discovers a market inefficiency and you capitalize on it and then the rest of the league catches up and then someone finds another market inefficiency and then the rest of the league catches up. And it's kind of been this cycle, right? Uh, happened to Theo Epstein and the Boston Red Sox. But again, I think it does make a difference because look at the Rays, look at the Dodgers, look at the teams that really, the Astros, the teams that do well in this area, they win. So clearly, uh, having a robust analytics department makes a difference. Yeah, I was uh, telling a coworker of mine, it was on, on Friday, so I just watched the Astros-White Sox game. And, you know, granted, I guess the White Sox won, but I was just like, yeah, you know, the Astros, they, like, lose Verlander and you know, lose Correa, yeah. and they got Altuve out, and it's like, yeah, does anyone did anyone really notice, you know? <laughs> Like, this stuff does make a difference, and, like, I don't know. It just felt like a weird, like, I could understand, like, 5% of what he was trying to say, but I didn't right. really, I, I, he did, definitely did not land the plane. And I guess maybe that's just my Manfred, like, opinion in general. Is like, does this guy ever really land the plane? No. no. <laughs> Chunk of metal. You know, does this guy ever, does this guy ever land the plane? I don't think he does, and... Uh, it, there's a lot going on in baseball with these new rules and, you know, mandates and things like that. Uh, you'd like your commissioner to maybe be out front and center kind of talking about how great this is instead of sort of, like, taking a crap on, like, a philosophy that is made teams champions. So that's just that that's my Manfred thing. Uh, we can get back to some, some Tiger-specific topics. Uh we teased this on Thursday. Obviously, this story's been published since Wednesday, but you wrote a profile on Scott Harris. And I had talked to you periodically as you had been working on it, so I kind of knew like the direction that the story was going to go. But you, you read this every now and then where someone will write a story about somebody and it's like Joe Smith doesn't want you to read the story or didn't want you know and it's kind of set up in a cliche way you faced the same hurdle but you didn't go in a cliche way i thought you handled that part really well uh but i guess before i kind of get into some of the nitty-gritty stuff uh i think i think people would like to know maybe like the challenges of trying to do a story like this why you think it's important and uh and once you know scott which you know it's scott harris is right if he doesn't want to talk he doesn't have to. He's not required to do any of this. Uh, but, it, you know, just the consequence of it, it makes your job more difficult. It just does. So you still were able to, I think, shed some light on him as a person and his journey and shed some light on why he ended up taking this job, which I think a lot of people in the league maybe would not have expected. So, uh, But I guess your process, Cody, we can start out there, your process of trying to go through and report this story, especially with that big hurdle that you had to overcome. Ooh, yeah, this, this is a lot to ponder in retrospect. Uh, I'll be honest, it was as frustrating a story as I've ever reported on in, in my career, which I wouldn't really expect, you know? On the surface, Scott Harris is not an overly complicated character. Um, I think maybe that's part of what made it frustrating. Like, I, if I'm doing a narrative type profile you know i guess you want there to be some sort of conflict or 
you know, a saying in long form journalism is kind of what's the, the central complication of a person's life and how do they go about overcoming it on a day to day basis. And it was kind of hard to figure that out. And then spent a lot of time thinking about it, spent, thought about it all off season. Like, well, what is interesting is the past six months of Scott Harris's life must have been just a complete whirlwind. You know, he takes this job, he moves from his hometown to Detroit, goes from a stable organization to an organization that is in pretty rough shape. Oh, by the way, he's getting married on top of all that and like planning a wedding, you know. Um, and so that's where I arrived at. I would just like to talk to Scott about all that, you know, kind of the human side of, of the past six months of his life. Um, Scott did not want to participate in the story, which, again, that's his right. Um, I think he was he was coming from a good place with that. It was more he doesn't want the attention on him, especially as a new GM, doesn't want to come across as, as attention seeking. Um, and it got more complicated from there. I will say, I think some of my best profiles have been profiles in which the subject for one reason or another did not want to talk. I think sometimes you get a more objective view of the, of the person, you know, their influence can skew a story a certain way when you're just relying on outside views. I think sometimes you can land closer to the truth of who a person really is, um, and not necessarily even in negative ways, but I, I think you can just go a, a little bit deeper or more true with the analysis there. Um, and that's where it struck me. It, it was kind of hard to get people to talk about Scott. There were a couple of his friends, like members of his inner circle who did not want to talk. His, his parents were pretty good on the subject. His dad was very good, actually. Um, and then, you know, talk to people in the game like Farhan Zaidi and Theo Epstein and Jet Hoyer who were, who were nice enough to talk a little bit. But um, a lot of the people and even his parents to a certain degree, it was kind of like strings of adjectives, you know, sharp, brilliant, detailed. And it's like, OK, it, it was hard to get a lot of substance. Um, and that struck me as a little weird. Um, had me questioning, like, am I, am I asking the right questions? Like, do I suck at interviewing? And there's like. I've kind of done this a time or two before. I think, you know, I think I'm pretty good, especially at these stories where you're really trying to get to the essence of a person. Um, kind of made a second effort to talk to Scott, and, and he still didn't want to participate. Um, you know, and, and kind of had some off-the-record conversations. So definitely left this with a good feeling and still overall, like, a positive impression of Scott. And, and so I think that is, like, important to note. Um but I think it's also important, like readers understand, it was it, it was a strange story for me to work on, and I'm I'm not I'm still not quite sure why it was that way. I guess, um, and to a degree, that became part of the story, right? Like just a, a guy who would rather remain private in a very public role. That is um, an inherent conflict and something that's also you know natural to sympathize with a little bit. Um, you want your dream job, but your dream job comes with certain realities. Um, that's the case for me. It's the case for people I know. That's the case times 10 for someone like Scott Harris, who now we're sitting here like talking about him on this podcast. You know, um, uh, it, Not always easy, and there are a lot of unseen costs that can come with that. So that became part of the story. Also part of the story, again, yeah, why is he here? Um, Simple answer is he's always wanted to be number one, and he thought this was a shot. The other answer is he saw enough things in Detroit, and um, yes, ownership, you know, A.J. Hinch, um, 
the AL Central being a division that there's not a clear dominant team, I guess, for the next 10 years. That was certainly um, a factor. And, you know, did my best to to tell the, the narrative from there. So hopefully, you know, people learn something about Scott. I would say despite some of the frustrations, I, I think you learn a lot about Scott and his background and um, certain advantages he had that got him here and also certain talents he had that got him to this point at a very young age. Well, okay, so something that the Scott Harris story is going to appeal to me, and, you know, it's not necessarily that he's unique in this, but I, I always am drawn to stories of people who kind of put their chips in the middle of the table that they want to do something that's difficult, and then they achieve it. Uh, it, it seems to me, based on what I already knew about Scott and then reading your story, that he really could have done just about whatever he wanted to. Uh, it seems like he was identified as a bright mind early on and had the ability to go probably, I'm sure he's making a decent amount of money right now, but he could probably make more money in business or something, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. So, you know, that was cool to see. Um, I also, Cody, since you didn't get to talk to him, and he's a friend of the podcast, so he's probably listening. I thought we could take an opportunity to ask some questions, and and then he can respond to them at his own leisure. So I just wrote down three. I just wrote down three. You know, I'm I'm not trying to. I don't want to sit down with him too long. I know he's a very busy guy. I I, I don't know what's coming if I take any any shrapnel for this. <laughs> I I was not involved in the planning of these questions here. <laughs> Question number one is uh, as somebody who's gone through the wedding process myself uh how the hell did that how did you make that work how'd you make that work uh, you know to very good question uh to obviously they had been engaged for you know however long and then he went through this interview process and took this job in the midst of the home stretch of wedding planning <laughs> so like I'm not going to say, like, I had the most stressful wedding, like, you know, planning experience or anything like that, but it's still a challenge, and it's still, you know, especially, you know, not the stereotype, but, you know, from the guy or whatever, like, you gotta, gotta make sure the wife's okay or the 2B wife's okay, and I didn't have to interview for a job and, like, move halfway across the country and go back and forth, and so, you know, license it. I have yeah, to, no, to, to, to spoil one of the better details in the story, his rehearsal dinner was at Oracle Park, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not not something you can just change, but I'm sure that was a little bit awkward. Oh, I, I don't work for the Giants anymore. But <laughs> I would also ask him if there are any baseball team building metaphors that apply to the medical practices or that you can draw from the medical practices that your parents uh, uh, work in. <laughs> <laughs> they both work in uh, very, I don't want to spoil it, but very specific uh, areas of medicine that you know, aren't probably, as you put in the story, aren't necessarily great for family dinner conversations. So I'll just say it like that. <laughs> and the third thing I would say... Yeah, that's probably not a specific question I would have asked, Scott. Probably just stay away from, <laughs> from you know, what, what exact comparison. Or, you know, a side note to that is that, like, you know, there's this famous story about Nick Saban and how his dad made him go into a coal mine once when he was acting up in eighth grade, and that's when he knew he was he didn't want to work uh, in a coal mine in West Virginia. So was there any experience that your parents brought home that made you think, not doing that? Yeah, 
not not yeah, for, for me. me. Right. Uh, and lastly, I would ask if the Tigers are ever in you know the postseason or in some sort of division race or whatever wild card race, and you got to come up with some sort of hazing ritual. Let's just call it what it is. Uh, the someone beneath you to do. What are you gonna make them eat? Are you gonna make them eat conies or pizza? So that was what I would ask. Is like you're gonna make them eat conies or pizza to to rally the troops. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of good stories from that Cubs front office. Uh, Theo Epstein wouldn't tell me any of them because I guess he's had people like try to cancel him <laughs> uh, in the past, which is obviously silly. Like they were just having fun. Did hear a good anecdote though. Scott Harris was carrying uh, chocolate cake into the clubhouse before Game Seven of the 2016 World Series. That was not in my story. I learned that after the fact. So. You know, after that rain delay, I'm sure he was eating a lot of cake. Uh, it changed the course of baseball history. Yeah. And, hey, Scott, give me some of your metabolism, bro. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little jealous. Uh, I will say this. When you go through reporting this story and you're hearing people talk about him and you're, you know, you're just learning new things about him or learning some of his experiences that might have shaped him or whatever, did it shine any more light to you as to why he made the moves that he did and didn't make the moves that he didn't in the construction of this team because we're coming off a series of which the tigers just scored three runs right and the easiest criticism of scott in one off season was you didn't sign a major league bet and that's you know Sometimes when people say that, I think it's a little dismissive of the potential of a Maton or a Beerling. Uh, but at, at the same time, the facts are the facts. Uh, did, did, did reporting this story give you any sort of light onto what you think his uh, philosophical makeup is? I mean, especially given that Theo didn't turn around the Cubs overnight, right? So like, Or the Red Sox overnight. Um, so like his mentors took the long approach too. like was there anything that that made you think oh that yeah. makes sense yeah no I, I think that does become a little more clear uh through the course of the story i think his mentors certainly play a part on that and his father being a surgeon you know i think this guy takes a very holistic view of probably everything in life um and i think that's reflected in how he's run a baseball organization the fact that when he got hired, what did he do for the first three weeks? He didn't sit down in the GM chair and start making moves. He let other people run the day-to-day, -day and he uh, learned and kind of took inventory and got a detailed view of this entire organization and kind of how it works and what works and what doesn't, and then kind of went in and started doing surgery on individual departments, you know, hoping to improve the whole. Um, I think his method of improving the offense clearly, I, look, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it was not let's sign a major league hitter. It was like, let's improve, you know, it was like, let's not, I don't know if a good medical analogy because I don't know anything about medicine. I'm a journalist. Uh, but, you know, let's let's not just replace this whole knee or whatever if we can strengthen the, the, the tendons around it and overall like like maybe that's a better way to go about it that's that's as close as i'm going to get to a good analogy um i think we kind of see scott's uh thought process unfold a little bit like that in multiple ways did we ever find out because you said he played lacrosse 
did we ever find out whether he was an actual lax bro? Did we? Did we know? Did we know that either direction? Because you know. No, I don't know. And again, a couple of lacrosse teammates like didn't, didn't talk. I, I don't really know why. I feel like they could have like said something interesting. They didn't. Uh, so I, I, I guess I can't confirm. But aren't all lax lax players lax bros? You know, can you be there? There's a scale. I guess that's like saying if you play baseball, you like dip. And I play baseball, <laughs> and I've never chewed tobacco even once in my life. So I, uh, I, I'd also like now again. This wouldn't be something that would go like on the record so i wouldn't like expect anybody to say this but when that line when he was in the cubs front office about like he dished it out i was like man i'd love to know some examples of that because uh because that that will because that kind of stuff really that's when you're at your most pure form is when you're you know when when you're right right hazing each other in some sort of like uh we don't we don't want to use the word hazing let's not call it hazing that's why theo wouldn't 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 share any of the cool stories because some people would use the word hazing and it's like, you know, I'd love to know, you know, some things can share. I'd love to know just one or two ways he, uh, he dished it out in return, but, uh, because of people <laughs> like you calling it hazing, we will, we will never know some of these things. I'm sorry, Theo. I didn't, I didn't mean to do it to you, buddy. <laughs> uh, all right. So Scott was, he didn't have a, you know, even before the game started, he didn't have a, a lot of leisure time, I'm guessing. He was, you know, working this roster as they as they told us that, or AJ, being the they there, uh, told us that they would. Like, kind of took this, you know, right to the last second. The, the biggest move, I would say, involved not opting to keep Cesar Hernandez and then, you know, granting him his uh, release and going after and actually acquiring another infielder with uh, versatility in mind in Zach McKinstry. McKinstry, is that saying that right? Yeah, McKinstry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who got more playing time than I thought someone who just got here yesterday uh, would, would, would get. Um, what do you kind of make of the way that Scott maneuvered like the back half of this roster uh, just overall? Because uh, I don't think this is uh, what we saw this week. I'm not interpreting to be a one-off because it's also kind of curious like to bring in this guy. And again, uh, I'm not trying to make a judgment of him, but he was a he. His role in the Cubs organization is not dissimilar to like a Zach Short's role. Uh, in, in the Tigers organization right. or even like a Kreidler's role in the Tigers organization. So uh, I think these are, I, I, I think this is something that will be kind of part of Scott's makeup, at least here in the beginning. Yeah, I think it's a very Scott Harris move. It, it reflects his history. It reflects in a way, you know, the methods in which the San Francisco Giants have built their rosters the past couple of years. At the same time, I'm going to be honest, I don't really get the Zach McKinstry thing. I don't get the stocking UV players. Like, having one or two of those guys is great. I don't know that you need four or five or six. Uh, McKinstry is a left-handed batter, so he's basically a left-handed uh, option of a Kreidler, a short, at best, a Nick Maton. I think at a certain point that gets redundant for your, your roster. Um talked about the obsession with versatility and optionality and again i like 
25% get that, but don't, I think if you want to build a win, like, I don't know, the Philadelphia Phillies wins the World Series by just getting a bunch of good hitters and making it work. And then, you know, the guys at the end of their bench, Maton and Veerling are the guys you're trying to make everyday players. Two different situations, two different payrolls. And I'm not trying to go too far down that path, but I guess that's my way of saying it. I, I don't fully get the McKinstry thing. Um, like, here's how I put it. Who do you feel better about producing at the major leagues? Cesar Hernandez or Zach McKinstry? Cesar. To me, I would probably say Cesar Hernandez. Now, I don't know that he was going to be a star or whatever, but he has at least done it before, and he had a very nice spring. Um, and McKinstry has done well in AAA and never hit in the big leagues before. You know, he's got a pretty, pretty good plate approach. Maybe you can get a little more out of him, but I see a very limited upside there. And in terms of all the mixing and the matching, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to wonder if at a certain point you can try it to be a little too cute. And another thing is I don't think the Tigers have necessarily explained some of the their final roster decisions very well. Scott talked and didn't go into a ton of detail. And I think since Scott has been around, AJ um, kind of talks in a little less detail about front office decisions you know, such as why are they carrying Kerry Carpenter over Akil Badu? I don't know if that's right or wrong. Um, you know, I think I made clear I lean toward Badu, but I think I said that because I thought they were leaning toward Badu and um, had a lot of competition in the outfield. It's like, okay, but, you know, you went with one skill set over another. Why? We don't fully know the answer. We don't fully know other than the whole we want guys who can play infield and outfield thing, like, why not Cesar Hernandez? Maybe $1.9 million or whatever he was due to make seems to us like an insignificant amount. Maybe that played a, a role. I don't know. Uh, the McKinstry thing, I don't I don't fully get. Um, you know, Abanez didn't make the team, but he got cried. But, like, sure, you have a lot of utility players. Yeah, and speaking of some of those guys, uh, looks like Toledo's – kind of fun right now uh <laughs> i mean toledo's lineup could compete with the big league lineup i think which i overall is a good thing but i'm also like kind of got some dudes down here like who could be playing like who could be playing for your big league club so i don't know yeah so that was uh i don't know i i i don't want to come across as like overly critical of like yeah. the small moves yeah. because i because i think sometimes people get really yeah. worked up about it's, it's, that stuff fixate on it. um but and I, that that's going to be a churn like yeah. we're probably going to see all these guys and that is important to note and that is part of the harris philosophy so i also don't i don't mean to be critical but i'm trying to say i over the past over since the start of spring training i've progressively understood the tiger's thought process less well the way i would put it is like does like to what end uh, on some of the uh, on some of these moves like like not every move has to answer to what end but i'm going to think to what end on a lot of this stuff i mean that was that would be why i was like you know Zach short you're not like you know not carrying him to begin the year cuz i'd be like to no. what end you know what i mean and and i think 
The carpenter never really answered answered my uh, Zach Short riddle. By the way, he's still around, still in the forty man, <laughs> not on the major league roster though. So we're just still kind of in this Zach Short limbo. Yeah, I mean, and not yeah, not going away. Uh, but I think the the Badu Carpenter thing, like you could have answered, like the answer to that question could have been to what end? You know what I mean? I'm just gonna go to what yeah. end with with a lot of this stuff. Uh, another thing to what end? Uh, which, by the way, people brought up Caesar's like money like a lot more than I thought they would. I was like, I don't know, maybe that maybe that, that explains it more than anything else I can think. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I'm not saying I know, um, but Begin Street. This kind of falls in here uh, in this utility thing. Couple notes of the lineups this week, Cody. Uh, one, we saw Miguel every day, right? Uh, which was talk about things I don't understand that a surprise me B second game the Tigers are getting blown out AJ Hinch subs for Javi Baez and Austin Meadows leaves Miguel Cabrera in the game as I'm running the bases in the ninth inning not something that matters in the grand scheme of things but something I did not understand I'm gonna be more comfortable with Carpenter beyond being with the team right now if you're gonna like start putting him in some DH spots like that that's uh, right, right, and and, and that, that was having play first base. Very too. much my thinking when he makes the rosters. Like maybe we undersold how many DH at bats are available, and if Carpenter's DH in two of every three games a series, you know what? Actually, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but then that's not how it played out in the opening series. And Terry Carpenter played one game in right field, and it was a little bit of an adventure out there. Yes, yeah, so that that was interesting, and and that we know that's not going to be a trend. Uh, although it is kind of funny to hear people uh, when they discuss Miguel's playing time, talking about well, you know, the honoring Miguel promotions don't sell tickets if he's uh, not playing. I, I I just think it's a funny line, and it's true, and it's true, it's true. And this is something that's part of the calculation for this year. It just is. Uh, whether that's yeah, you know, whether that bothers people or not, it just is. So yeah, it was a little little surprising there. Maybe it's because maybe it was an indoor thing. I don't know. Uh, uh, by the way, really, really, really small side note. Uh, today I spent about four minutes utterly confused when I got an ESPN notification saying that the Tigers Rays game has been delayed. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, what? 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 And, and like, uh, so like the Tigers hadn't tweeted anything. No, the beat writers had tweeted anything. I'm listening to like the pregame and they're just, uh, it's just like the regular stuff. Like Dan's like, you know, interview and then, you know, some, some studio stuff. And then finally a guy comes on and is like, you know, explains the Don Zimmer thing or whatever. But I was like, I was so confused. I was just like, <laughs> what, why? Like, like it didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. And then I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but the guy, the Jonathan Scope thing. So, uh, it, I used to joke that Matt Manning was like one of the more regular subjects of this podcast because it was so much of a you know back and forth kind of talking about the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, that mantle is slowly being passed to Jonathan Scope. I feel like we have to talk about his role, his playing time more than I ever really anticipated. Uh, you know, obviously not a great offensive weekend for him, but we finally got something on record 
And we're looking at more of a platoon thing uh, for Scope, it looks like, Cody, you know, against left-handed pitching. Uh, how do we feel about that? Because if we're, if we're going on the assumption that, look, it, prime rebound candidate, you know, there are the limitations of his game, but you could, you could easily talk yourself into with his track record. Like, it, it could be okay. It'll be okay. Uh but I put this on Twitter, like, I'm going to I'm gonna believe you when you show me, not what you tell me. And it seems to me, we uh, can we use the term regular for scope right, uh, right now? Is that where we're trending? Am I overreacting? I mean, I mean, it seems like he's going to be a platoon player. I don't know. Let's see it play out a little bit. I thought A.J. Hinch's words were less than a ringing endorsement of Jonathan Scope playing against right-handed pitching. It's going to take a little bit for this roster to settle itself. Um, that alone tells me it's, it sounds like the Tigers don't have a lot of faith in Scope having this bounce back. I'll just say this for the whole like cut Scope, DFA Scope narrative. I, I'm just going to address this one more time. If Scope is hitting below 200, at the end of April, I will entertain that discussion. I'm not saying it should happen. Not saying I'll endorse it. I will. I am not going to go down that path again unless Jonathan Scope is hitting below 200 at the end of April. If that happens, we'll come on this pod and we'll talk about it. Otherwise, guy's not going anywhere. Will he be an everyday player, a platoon player? I don't know. It sounds like the Tigers are now leaning toward a platoon player. Again, a lot of that discussion will have me just thinking. To what end, uh, you know, and 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 then you just kind of open yourself up for that kind of thing uh, when you decide to do this because I know you said you don't want to talk about. It. I just have one little quick point about it. Like if you're gonna platoon them and you don't want to cut them partially financially, then like what, like what? At what point does it even matter? Uh, okay, so that that that's the end. But do we know if like this is something? I assume it's ain't AJ's first rodeo. Scope's been around the game a long time. I assume this has got to be something that was, you know, talked about, made known, like, you know, like, Scope's in on, like, their plan. Everybody has an understanding of what's going on here, I, I assume. I don't, but I don't know if I saw that. Yeah, AJ, AJ said he had told Scope exactly what was going on. You're going to play against <laughs> left-handers, against righties. It's going to be more, you know, case-by-case. I wish I would like for a softer landing on that if uh, if uh, if I had my way, but I understand. I understand. Yeah, but for the for the yeah, I, I'm not gonna go down the AJ Hinch path either. That's been on Twitter a lot. I think that's but we got all summer to talk about things. I if you don't think AJ Hinch should be the Tigers manager, I just want to. Are we still doing that? Of who you would rather have? It's all over the. See, I, I, I'm not trying to entertain. Tell me who would who would who would be better. Who's going to do a better job with this beautiful collection of ballplayers we got here? Well, I'll tell or, you. If that's still a topic in August, we'll circle back to it. But I don't want to entertain it any further. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, there are a few things that, like, when the game is basically over or it feels like it's over, you know, it's like 4 nothing in the 5th or something. And, you know, everybody's talked about how it just feels insurmountable. Uh, a few things kind of get me, like, get my emotions up uh is seeing like hinch and george and chris like kind of talking about you know strategy and trying to figure things out like 
I see that and I say, that's a brain trust that is deserving of a winning team. And they have not gotten that, obviously. But like I look at those guys and my trust, I have the I have trust in them, and then I feel for them that it's like, you know, damn it, left you know the cutter didn't cut to uh to Franco or you know something like that, and, and it's like boom, now 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 the game's like out of reach and like all these things that kind of go into it. But I I I agree, we're not gonna entertain any sort of like is he the right guy, uh stuff right here. Uh, real quick. I wish I knew what the odds were. They probably don't actually exist. Uh, but if you had Jake Rogers as first Tigers home run, con- ding, ding, ding. congratulations on your brand new mansion. Because, because <laughs> you know, because you just knew he wasn't going to get that many at bats. First of all, second of all, like you know, obviously we you know he's capable of that. But like the odds would have been, you know, astounding. So credit, you know, uh, we talk about. Turnbull coming back, Tommy John, uh, you know, great story at least for him to be back and all that stuff. Jake Rogers first game back since 2021, uh, hits a home run. He he had no yeah. There's only one steal attempt that you know the guy was safe, but he had no shot. Like it was just you know, guy got a great jump. Went a little long. Was he like six five or whatever? A little long on the delivery. So you know, but but still, shout out shout out to Jake and. Uh, I think I got myself, Cody, a HKG update a little bit. Uh, I think we, I think it's fair for us to implement the guys in the minors that AJ has brought in, or excuse me, not AJ Scott has brought in, and give him a little shout out. You know, does it make him number one? Maybe, but we make up the rules here. Maybe I'll make him number one when uh, the major league team scored three runs. Uh, Number one right now, Jay Hen, our boy Jay Hen. I think I saw he had a hit and a walk in each of the first uh, three games or something like that. Uh, what more do you want? Look at that. that. Drawing some walks. That's the HKG profile right there. That is it. That's exactly what he was. That was what we were sold at when uh, when he was brought in. And we didn't really get to see him as much as I uh, would have liked in, in spring training. Uh, maybe it's a little bit different if you're there every day, but in terms of viewing the games and all that stuff, uh, so I was like, oh, you know, I haven't really heard of that much about him. Shout out Jay Hen. I'm gonna put him right now, number one, HKG walk and a base hit in uh, each of his first three games. And I'm and, gonna put. Go ahead. No go. Oh, I said I'm gonna put you know these these guys Scott Harris purchased from the Rays at one and two because. Trying to find their names and uh, <laughs> suddenly struggling. Uh, purchased like two random minor leaguers from the Rays. Uh, I don't know, you know, a left-handed hitting first baseman, good for depth, and um, that that just seems like a very Scott Harris move. You know, let's some little moves on the margins and stock minor league depth. Dylan Paulson. Dylan Paulson. That's our first baseman. Slash, I think he also plays outfield because everyone's a utility player. <laughs> well, at least he, at least you know, another option at first base there. Yeah. Well, people have payroll concerns. Well, they just like purchase a couple players from the team across the across the dugout there. So well, take it might that. Might have been for like ten bucks. <laughs> I don't know. Also, the Tigers uh, released the the um, return for Robbie Grossman. 
uh, Chris Anglin, left-handed pitcher. That's right. He's gone. He didn't last too long. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I meant to bring that up. By the way, Robbie had a home run on opening day, I think. He did. Uh, yeah. So good for Robbie. Good guy. Uh, all right, so look forward a little bit here, Cody. The Tigers, no time to dwell uh, on a disapp- disappointing opening series. Got the Astros. By the time people listen to this, they might you might already be en route to Houston, which, by the way, congrats. You get to have some nice Texas barbecue uh, before com- coming back to uh, Detroit. Any any thoughts on the upcoming series? Get to see Boyd. That'll be fun. And then subject matter number one of this podcast, Matt Manning. Uh, Manning, baby. Like... We're going to have a lot to talk <laughs> about next week, regardless of what Matty does. Yep. The Matthews to start out the series. So uh, any thoughts on this upcoming <laughs> series? Uh, should be nice if the Tigers can take one, right? And again, I'm not a fan. My, I, I, like Not tied to their win-loss record, but I do not want the Tigers to go into the home opener 0-6. I want people to be invested in my work till at least May this year, you know? <laughs> um, it should be nice if they're not 0-6. Yeah. And I don't know, in terms of early season stuff, we've been kind of sold on, you know, Maton helping inject the clubhouse with energy and, and, and Boyd being just like the great guy that he is and, uh, and, and Manning figuring his stuff out. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to be looking more intangible stuff this week. Obviously, you know, you'd like to not get swept back to back. That's apparent. Um, I'd like to see... I'd like to see Eduardo come back and, you know, continue what he did in, uh, in his first start and like see Javi maybe get hot. Like we didn't really, we didn't see Javi like in midseason form, like what was, you know, could have been alleged uh, given the world, you know, he played in the world baseball classic. So I'd like to, you know, get Riley green, right. You know, see, you know, I want to see some intangible stuff. I want to see Riley take some leadership. I want to see Maton barking. You know, I want to, <laughs> I want to see a lot of these kind of things, and obviously, uh, a couple of wins would go a long way. Uh, we'll be, I will be in Detroit. Get in Wednesday. We'll be at the game Thursday, weather permitting. Be there Saturday. I'm not sure. You know, maybe there might be some <laughs> rain. I really suck because I, you know, can't make. I, I can't go to the makeup. You know, I gotta come back to Texas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to the meeting. Uh. A, a lot of y'all if possible uh hanging out before the game after the game uh should be a lot of fun looking forward to it uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great treat um a little update on my father he is uh he's he's moving around more i believe i said that on thursday but he you know sometimes he'll open his eyes not necessarily registering but he you know can open his eyes uh moving his arms and his legs more frequently breathing on his own today that was the big update uh and so you know still playing the waiting game but uh you know appreciate everybody's thoughts and prayers uh you you have to say that that kind of stuff does matter and it has you know made an impact and uh so i appreciate my family appreciates it so uh so yeah i just wanted to give an update since uh you know once I once I started talking about it, got I'm gonna keep giving regular updates and hope that they're all good ones. So uh, so yeah, things moving in the right direction there. So really happy to report that. Uh, Cody, 
anything else before we get out of here that uh, you want to touch on? No, that's good to hear, Kieran. We obviously hope things keep churning in the right direction there. Yeah, I, uh, you know, like I said, I was able to watch the game with him on Thursday, and then uh, I played. Uh, I played our podcast uh, today, like our last mm-hmm. episode, so we, uh, so he could hear both of our voices. Uh, he has such respect and admiration for you, and uh, and your girlfriend Andrea. One of the first things he'll probably say mm-hmm. is like, "Oh, are they still good? Oh, she's great." You know, <laughs> like that's uh, that'll probably be one of the first things he says uh, when when he comes back too. So. I want to thank everybody for listening, subscribing, Apple, Spotify, following on Twitter at Cody Stabenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, at Turn Corner Pod, subscribing to The Athletic so you can read all of Cody's great work, including that Scott Harris profile that we talked about, as well as, you know, we got, we, we, we got, a, we got a surprise for people that are going to be out and about downtown Detroit for the home opener and probably Saturday's game too. Looking forward to that. We'll we'll announce that on Twitter uh, as the game gets closer. It's crazy. We're gonna have baseball in Detroit here in just a couple of days, you know. So that that's that's reason for excitement. I'm looking forward to. It. I've never been to a home opener or an opening day, but I'm gonna call it. You know, it's an opening day for the city, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.